It was my sophomore year of college. I was a sophomore at University of California in Santa Barbara. I did two years at Santa Barbara, and then I transferred here and did two years at Wheaton. But my sophomore year, um, even though I was a Christian, I, I, I had been a Christian for just a few years, I was still very young in the faith. And in that environment, especially in the early 70s, let's just say it offered a lot of choices that I could have taken that would have pulled me away uh, from Christ. Seriously, I used to kid, but it was true, that if you walked down the halls of my freshman dorm, uh, and uh, which was a lovely location, it was across the street from the beach. That's how I made a mature choice of where I'd go to college. The dorm was across the street from the beach. But um, if you breathe deeply in the hallways of my dorm, you could get a slight buzz on. And uh, there was that much um, there was that much marijuana being smoked openly and freely. It was much easier to get marijuana than it was to get alcohol on that clo- on that campus in those days. Uh, and there was other kinds of uh, lifestyles being offered in those early days, where there was no supervision of the dorms, whatever. It was a men's dorm, but you'd never know it because women were living in rooms with men, and it was just great. Well, they were really boys and girls, but anyway. Um, that's why I'm so grateful that even I was as a young follower of Christ that I was scooped up really by the ministry then of Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew. It was really with the help of some friends who I'd gone to high school with whose family had really been instrumental in bringing me to Christ. And their one daughter, who was a dear friend, was at Santa Barbara. And she said, why don't you come to this meeting? And uh, I got connected. There were crusade leaders there that took an interest in me and stuck with me. There's one guy named Art Vanderveen who, after years of not hearing from each other, this is one of the wonders, really, of, of Facebook and uh, what can happen through the Internet, is that we found each other again. And I said, remember that really clueless, dorky sophomore? And I, It took! I'm, I'm, I'm still serving, I'm, I'm not doing it perfectly, but I'm following Christ and serving the church, and so we've kind of reconnected a little bit. He's well into his later 70s now, still uh, ministering down in Georgia, but I'm grateful for people God put in my life as a, as a mentor. Well, specifically in my sophomore year, uh, he was really challenging me in the area of leadership, and we were beginning to meet in churches in the Santa Barbara area. We were actually uh, promoting events. Some of you uh, that are my age may have remembered, if you're on camp, an event called Explo 72. It happened in Dallas, Texas, the summer of 1972, sponsored by a crusade, but 80,000 college students uh, who got there and organized without the internet. It happened. We all got there, and we worshipped, and it was crazy. Anyway, uh, Art pulled me, so we were going around promoting this event around Santa Barbara, and to, he kind of talked me up, so I had my little spiel. I shared my testimony, but he challenged me to have a scripture memory verse when I shared my testimony. Well, I had not done scripture memory before, and I chose Philippians 4, 4 through 7, and it has stuck with me ever since. And I learned it in the New American Standard Bible. Yes, people, there was a day and age when there was not a New International Version. And when I was a young believer, the cool Bible was the NASB. And so I remember it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, let your, here's the old language, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. I now know it included women as well. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I said I memorized it. I'm reading it, but I just want to make sure I got all the words right. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I see what rejoice. We sang a great gospel version of that. And some of you are thinking of the round that we used to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This passage drew me in. It, it came alive. It became, because it was so practical. 
It was practical not just in the behaviors that it encourages, but it was practical in the impact on emotional life and well-being. This part about don't be anxious, don't worry about things, but instead pray about them, giving thanks to God for how he's already at work. This passage has stuck with me. I have applied it to myself over and over again, and I have, I might say, prescribed it in my pastoral counseling as well. It has become encased in my breath prayer, which is peace of Christ, peace of Christ, peace of Christ, that I pray to get myself centered and righted. It comes out of this text. So when I say this is one of my favorite passages, it's not like when I say every week this is one of my favorite passages. This is a text God gave me. And this is what's so fun. I didn't sit in my office going, I think I just want to preach on something I really like. No, we are preaching the lectionary this year. And the lectionary said, here's your text this week. And I said, thank you. <laughs> As Art Vanderveen discipled me that year, he taught to me also and modeled to me the power of the word. And um, my getting into the word and pursuing ministry eventually is what helped me to grasp this idea of being imitator, the, the title that we've chosen for this series. I'm necessarily always good at imitating Jesus. I fumble and I stumble and I fall, and yet it's part of what I keep out there. And we've chosen this image of a mirror to look at and say, how am I becoming more like Christ? And so we want to look at this then for a little bit this morning, that the invitation to be an imitator is a call to live a life that's characterized by rejoicing, a life that's characterized by rejoicing, but in the midst of daily challenges, simply doing life as a follower of Jesus. This passage, not just the the few verses I shared, but from 1 to 9, talks about how to practically do life in the midst of all of its crazy challenges that it throws us and still be somebody who rejoices and somebody who imitates Jesus. I've grouped these challenges around kind of four areas of, of, of teaching. I'm, I'm going to not try, try not to race too quickly, but to help us see in each one that there's this lesson for us of practical living as we trust Christ and still find ways to rejoice. First of all is re- reconciling and healing, this image of these two women with a di- good job in the names, by the way, Yodi and Sintiki. Uh, these two women and what Paul's teaching about reconciliation and healing of relationships. Secondly, this idea of rejoicing and, and having a gentle spirit or forbearing spirit. What does that mean? And then thirdly, this air of handling anxiety by rejoicing, by praying and thanking. And then fourthly, this area of getting our minds on the things that are healthy things, thinking and acting and doing those things that make us more like Christ. Reconciling and healing. We meet these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, and Paul's encouraging them to, to, to get along. He's talking to them and another man named Clement and whoever the reader of the letter is who's just called a companion or in some versions a, a yoke fellow. What Paul is doing here, he's doing the work of conflict resolution. And those of you, a lot of you that were in corporate environment, you've all been to seminars and workshops on that and, 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 uh, and, and in the school setting and the public sector as well. Conflict resolution. And here it is in Scripture. Paul is doing that. We don't really know what the issue was, but we assume from the mention of them that this was a pretty big deal. Um, it was in, they were important and influential members of the church. It's possible that Yodi and Syntyche were, were key leaders in the church, and so everybody knew who they were and what this conflict was. And their conflict had the potential to do some harm, and that's why the letter to Philippians was written, to try to stave that thing and, and, and stop what was happening, to, to unite them around Christ and to put others ahead of themselves, some of the themes that we've seen. 
It maybe is even what's behind part of chapter 2 where Paul says to them, be of one mind, put others' interests ahead of your own. Your attitude should be the same as Christ. In fact, when Paul calls these women to, quote-unquote, agree with each other, it's very similar words to this, be of one mind. I love Paul's approach to these women because, in a sense, he stays neutral. He says, I plead with both of them. He doesn't take a side. He also commends commends them for their hard work. He knows that if he's harsh, it will just turn them off. And he says, you are working hard, but somehow in here, things have gotten off, and I, 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 I plead with both of you to make this work. He approaches them as his equals here. These are partners in the ministry. He's not talking down to them because they are lesser people or because they are women, but they are his equals in ministry. They are not subordinates. He gives them respect while calling them to solve this conflict. And he's confident that they will work it out. It's very public. He's using names, but it appears that he is wanting to encourage this reconciliation and healing. And he's calling them to do it then in community, to do it in community, calling on this unnamed recipient of the letter, this loyal yoke fellow, and all these other in the church uh, that, they, that need this too, saying, you need to work this out. He encourages them to promote reconciliation. In a sense, he's saying, live like this. Live like this as reconciled people. It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's really hard. Reconciliation is hard work. I would say some of my highest hopes and my deepest discouragements as a pastor around this issue of reconciliation. Some of the devastating things that have happened is, as marriages have unraveled and you work with people and try to bring some reconciliation and it doesn't happen. And personally painful to me, those, 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 those disagreements, those misunderstandings, those hurts that happen between me and a church member. And sometimes it's my fault of what I've done or not done. And when it's between me and a church member, my eagerness to see reconciliation and, and, and work on it and to see healing for a relationship come not only for the two of us, but for the church, because it hurts the church. That's why Paul's pleading with it. It hurts the church when there's a break. It hurts the church when somebody's hurt and, and drifts away. We know this is the way it should be. We know that this is what Jesus is calling us to do, that this is the way Jesus wants to live. But sadly, it doesn't always go that way. Indirect communication and strangling happen, and we never hear directly, and all of a sudden somebody's gone, and it's just too hard to do the work. And sometimes, as I said, it's me. I haven't moved quickly enough or I haven't been direct enough or my intentions, which I thought were good, were totally misunderstood and it's hard. But we need to do the hard work of reconciliation everywhere, but especially in the body of Christ. The apostle pleads with us to be imitators of Jesus this way, to to work at this. We established about six or seven years ago what we call holy manners, and we need to bring those things back, Uh, not because we're breaking them all, but just to remind us that these are the kind of people we want to be. Some of the holy manners, they're all kind of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, sort of. We stretched them, but on A, it was we will appreciate, we will appreciate and respect one another as individuals loved by God. We will agree to disagree and realize that there's differences among us. C is we will communicate clearly and directly with each other. And the E stands for enter, but we will enter into conflict resolution in ways which honor God and affirm one another. It's the hard work we need to do. And sometimes it means admitting where we have failed. And sometimes it means just saying, this, this hurt, but can we talk about it? There's stuff we're working on right now 
Pastor Diane and I, that are stirring some things up, and it's exciting because it's part of our moving forward. We know that these are some of the things we can step in along the way. I certainly don't seek it. The way I'm wired up, you've ever done any personality tests? There's one of them that names me the, I'll admit it in front of all of you, the avoider. But I don't want to talk about that now, so let's move on. (laughs) The flip side of the avoider is the peacemaker. Anyway, I don't know. I'm looking forward to meeting you, Odin Sintiki, aren't you? When we get up to heaven going, did you guys work that thing out? You know? You know your Bible? You know we read about you for 2,000 years after you did that thing? You know? Isn't that incredible? Resolving conflict. Paul moves on to another behavior that is of rejoicing and responding. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Even, even especially in the imperfect, conflicted, anxiety-filled places, even in those rejoice. It reminds me of what James says in chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. But what Paul is saying here seems more than just considering it joy when you face these. He says this is an act of rejoicing. This is an act of rejoicing in the face of challenges, in the face of brokenness. And it seems to have this relational touch to it too. It will affect, when you rejoice in God, it will affect how you relate to others in the community of faith. He gives it a positive and a hopeful outlook. And he follows it closely with another all that has to do with how we respond to each other. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness or your gentle spirit be evident to all. Rejoicing and gentleness are going together here. Rejoicing and responding with a gentleness. Now, gentleness, that's a difficult word here. Does that mean we're just supposed to be kind of a, be a softy, tread lightly? Be a peacemaker avoider, maybe, you know? Is that, just be a, be a nice guy, be a, a nice person? It's really not the meaning of, of gentleness here. In times of stress and fear and worry and persecution, like they early believers were experiencing, the tendency is to react and to, and to retaliate. If we're under attack or we're, or we're hurting, we, we pull back or we... we, we we're a, some of us are fight people, some of us are flight people. We do one of those. Those are reactions. Gentleness here is a difficult word to translate. We see different, there's tons of different versions in English translations. But what it's saying is don't overreact, don't retaliate, but rather keep this strength of emotion you have, but have it under control and take, take action that will keep this relationship going. As I said in the New American Standard, the forbearing spirit was to be patient. It was a, it's a patience, patience to gentle as well. But most modern translations have the word gentleness. This is not a soft and squishy gentle. This is not a setting on your washer either. This actually means a patient restraining of anger. Ooh. A patient restraining of anger. A, quote, strength under control. Choosing not to react and retaliate, but to approach with Christ-like compassion and consideration. Another way to look at it that I read about just this week was the idea of justice and mercy. Justice is the letter of the law that says if a law has been broken, then then there need to be consequences. How many of you have ever gone one mile above the speed limit? Anybody ever gone one mile above the speed limit? You've broken the law, and you should have been arrested and gotten a ticket, right? How many of you have ever gone about nine above and been pulled over, and they gave you a warning. 
Mercy, mercy, and that's mercy. <laughs> Justice says you should have deserved it. In a sense, the gentleness of a policeman says, he doesn't say it to you, or she doesn't say it to you, but I've done that too. Slow it down a little bit, especially in this neighborhood. <laughs> Mercy can be, justice can be harsh in its application, but justice can also come with a compassionate tone of, of hoping for restoration. Think of Jesus with a woman caught in adultery. She was caught in adultery. According to their law, she did deserve death. But Jesus taught it, saw a woman who was broken and hurt and being judged severely by those who were not perfect people and said, let he or she who is without sin cast the first stone. I'm going to risk another illustration in our culture that sometimes is a hot button. Immigration laws say that if you're here without documents, you're here illegally, right? And that's true. The DACA, the DREAMers, are an act of gentleness to those who are brought as children, saying, maybe we have to have different guidelines here for those who don't have a home country except for this one. So I'm not taking an opinion. It was just an illustration. But that would be an example of dealing more gently with an area of justice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And be gentle in the ways you deal with it. I'm going to take one more illustration. And I'm make, it's making me longer. Sorry, but I'm on a roll. I had a woman in my last church, a uh, dynamic leader in our church who had identified um, through some kind of prophetic work a gift of discernment. And she really truly did have the gift of discernment where she could see where there was good and evil happening in situations. She had had a word about a person in our church that was probably true in terms of how they were dealing with their family. But she didn't deliver it with gentleness. And there was deep harm done to that relationship. There was some harm done to my church at the time. And I had to sit down with her and go, I believe you have this gift of discernment. I've seen it work. I believe even that the word you shared has some truth to it, but you're lacking gentleness. I didn't avoid her. <laughs> I, had to, I had to resolve that with her. That's gentleness. Speaking the truth and yet speaking it with love as well. Imitators, the way Jesus dealt with the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, the way he received Matthew and went to his home, the way he receives Zacchaeus, and rather the condemning them for their sin of letting the Spirit convict as he cared for them and brought them into the kingdom. I'm sorry, that became another sermon. Well, I'm not sorry, but let's move on, shall we? The third area here is this of anxiety, of praying and thanking around this area. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Moving from anxiety to peace. As I said, this is a favorite verse, and God seems to always find ways for me to interpret and apply it. The longer I'm in a public role, in a position of leadership, the longer I'm in areas of responsibility, and especially when I'm in cases of leading change, there are plenty of opportunities for anxiety. And let's just name it now, Naperville Covenant, as we head into the next couple of years, times of uncertainty and change can raise the level of anxiety. <laughs> let's just name it. You know, there's going to be a lot of changes in the next couple of years. If you haven't read the email or you didn't get the letter you're visiting today, I announced my retirement in May of 2019. It's still 20 months out there, not that I'm counting, but it's, it's out there. I'm actually excited about these months as we work together to keep the mission of this church strong and to strengthen us. But 
times of uncertainty and change bring anxiety. But let's practice this. Let's live into it. Let's be prayerful about it. Let's thank God for the challenges. Let's thank God for the ways he shows himself to us. Let's thank God that we're not on our own, but he is our leader, and we respond to the promptings and the leading of the Spirit. The apostle here instructs us and says, in these times of anxiety in your own personal life, but he's talking to a church, a church who's struggling with some changes and challenges, be prayerful and be thankful. Give thanks to God that he is in the midst of this. Give thanks to God that he's walking through it with you. Give thanks to God that he loves the person you're in conflict with as much as he loves you. Give thanks to God that he will guide you through this no matter what it might be. Give thanks to God that you're not alone in this issue you're struggling with and that's causing anxiety. Give thanks to God for friends who walk with you. Give thanks to God that if your anxiety perhaps has some medical causes, that there's some treatments and there's therapists and there's medications that can actually help us walk through it. We can thank God, yes, for that too. And not throw the meds away just because the Bible says all we need to do is pray and thank. It doesn't say all we need to do. (laughs) Sometimes there's medical help too. It says with prayer and petition. In other words, with specific requests. Petition is prayers for ourselves. We're always told joy. Jesus, others, yourself, but yourself is there. Intercession is prayer for others. Petition is saying, Lord, I need this. I need a better perspective. I need this part of me healed. I need better perspective on the things that are conflicting me and causing anxiety. So in your prayers, your petitions on your own behalf, with thanks to God who listens, let your requests be made known to God. And then there's this promise of peace. And the peace of God will be a, a guard. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, we can't really explain it, will put a guard on your hearts and mind. The word there, guard, is one that's also used for the word sentry. Now, uh, S-E-N-T-R-Y. And uh, not, 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 not 100 years, but a guard, a sentry, okay? <laughs> and I think of uh, the times that Megan and some of our members have traveled in Congo uh, and stayed in missionary homes, often a missionary will hire a sentry that walks around the home at night. Uh, one time they help kill a large spider in your room. Yeah, that's one thing that they do. But they also keep intruders. Okay, yeah. And, um, and, 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 and they, they just guard the home to make sure that what comes and goes is, is good for that, that home. And I think, of the, I think of that image sometimes, of my mind needs a guard on it. Because it's easy for me to receive all the anxiety provokers. It's easy for me to entertain all the things where I might be off on this. But a guard says, no, let, let, let the Spirit guide what comes into my head and what I focus on and what I might be stewing on and what I need to process. And the peace of Christ comes in inner tranquility based on peace with God. It's also experiencing this full dimension of God's love and care that we can't completely explain or understand. Again, Paul is saying, rejoice and live like this. One more, one more area of practical teaching is kind of word pair here of thinking and acting. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, this is verse 8 and 9, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Paul understands the influences of one's thoughts on one's life. What we allow to occupy our minds will sooner or later affect how we speak and how we act. What we let in affects how we behave. 
So there's really two exhortations here. First of all is think about these things. Think about these positive things, about the things that are honorable and good and worthy of praise. Think about them, but secondly, put them into action. Practice these things, he says. Both exhortations are, include this word, whatever. He gives us things to think about. The list is actually general virtues uh, that, we, that are held to even beyond the biblical realm. He says, think, you can do this. You can tell yourself these things. Our mind wanders to anxiety causers so easily, but we can, we can choose to change how we're, we really can choose to change how we're thinking. Sometimes I have to actually give myself a visual and just go, this is in my head. I'm pushing it this way, and I'm going to receive this instead. That's what I do sometimes. Physical, I'll just, sometimes in my quiet time, I'm like, hmm, go away. This is what I choose to focus on. And then Paul says, put it into practice. Live like this. Whatever you've learned and received or heard in me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now Paul's holding himself up there as an example of somebody who's trying hard to do this. He doesn't say, I'm the perfect example, but try to do it this way. Basically here and in these short exhortations and admonitions, as in all of Philippians, the focus here is on what we believe and what we practice. The goal is to bring them into line with each other in our daily life, in our relationships, in the life of the church, to live like this, an attitude of rejoicing. God is in this and with us. A practice of gratitude. All good things come from God. And the practical, do this instructions. Be an imitator of Christ. Be an imitator of Christ. We're going to end with a moment of silence. I'm not going to go... There's about five questions in the bulletin. Hang on to this. Reflect on it even for a moment here as we pray. Just asking to respond to this text in your own life. Perhaps choose one of these that really is grabbing you. What, what can I work on this week? To work on anxiety, work on gratitude, work on my thought life. Press into that area of conflict. And to live like this. Let's pray quietly. Holy God, we love your word. We thank you for what an incredible gift it is to us. We thank you for when it speaks of the high and lofty realities of who you are as the one holy God. We thank you for when it speaks words of, of great comfort. We thank you for how, for some of our friends in California ministry, and it speaks those words of lament that pour out our anguish. And I thank you this morning for when it speaks so practically in how we live our life every day and care for our own mind and heart and emotions and will. Thank you for the tools you've given us, Lord, to live more like you, Jesus. Draw us in, Lord. Give us hope as we do that on this journey together. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.